All right. My name is Max. I am an alcoholic. Uh, my home group is our mostly agnostic group of drunks, oh my God for short. And uh, my sobriety date is August 16th of 2016. And um, step four is uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road for a lot of this stuff. But step four for me was where I began building probably the most essential skill that has served me in uh, my sobriety journey, my recovery journey. And that skill is the ability to be with difficult feedback, the ability for me to be with those parts of myself that are causing problems without overreacting to them. Um, now, as I mentioned, I'm an alcoholic. And so that means that for much of my life and still to this day, I can be prone to overreactions. Um, those overreactions can take the form of denial. That's kind of what I was doing a lot whenever I was drinking, just drinking so that I could at least pretend, convince myself that whatever these issues were, that they didn't exist. Um, and then once I stopped drinking, I discovered a new kind of overreaction, which was self-loathing. Um, I discovered that like, if I blew up, if I beat myself up, um, I would discourage myself or discourage anybody from telling me that there was anything that I was doing that wasn't working. And so paradoxically, if I like beat myself up enough, it would sort of put up this armor around me and uh, discourage, discourage that kind of feedback from being there. And so step four, like I said, is where I've where I began to develop that practice of going beyond all of that stuff of like seeing like, okay, here's what's not working in my life. And well, bringing some of the earlier steps to that, bringing some acceptance to that, um, figuring out how to um, take care of my, uh, take care, take care of things in a way that like is psychologically sustainable. So um, for me though, but whenever we're taking a look at stuff like um, resentments, uh, fears, what we've done in our intimate relationships. Um, something I always like to point out and that I think is kind of key to understanding a lot of this process is the word resentment itself. Um, a lot of the times people think about resentment, they might think about a grudge. Um, they might think about some lingering frustration or something like that. Um, but I wanna break it down and cast kind of a wider net with it. Um, I like the term, like splitting the word resentment up into its component parts, re and sent. The second part of it, scent, comes from the same etymological roots as sentience, sensation, sentiment, um, which means to feel. So to resent something, it means to feel it again. Um, a resentment for me isn't just a grudge. It is any kind of feeling from my past that I'm carrying around that is incomplete for me. It can be a sorrow. It could be a longing. Uh, it could be a what if. It could be like an if only I had made it work with this relationship or with this job or whatever. Um, whatever it is that is still there from my past that is unresolved for me. Um, that's the stuff that makes it psychologically expensive to be alive. Um, it's the stuff that gives me an inappropriate amount of like emotional processing to deal with that goes above and beyond whatever it is that is presently in front of me. It's what takes me out of the moment. It's what takes me out of my relationships. It's what makes me overreact whenever I am hurt or whenever I perceive a slight um, is all the stuff that I'm not done with. And so when I worked step four, um, I did, you know, a, a grudge is a resentment. It's something that I'm feeling still long after the stimulus has passed. But there was a lot of other work that I had to identify as necessary in that space. Um, there was a lot of just like uh, guilt, um, which I guess you could count as like a grudge against myself. Um, 
there's a lot of just like being honest conversations that I identified as being necessary with uh, ex ex partners of mine, ex romantic relationships, people I used to collaborate with, and all of those things. Because um, it turns out I had just accumulated a whole lot of psychological baggage over the years of drinking, and over the years of wildly overreacting or underreacting to everything that was going on. And so, what this inventory gave me the opportunity to do was to just calmly identify all of that stuff. Now, you know. A lot of these, uh, a lot of this practice has kind of emerged from a, a Christian background, um, and you know I, I want to honor that, and I want to say that you know it can work for people um, if it works for them. Great. Um, that approach, that that traditional approach, did not work for me, which is obviously why I'm uh, talking to you, fine people today. And so, what I had to do was figure out how to be with those things, be with those aspects of myself that caused friction and breakdowns. Um, beyond the concept of a sin, beyond the concept of like there being something morally repugnant with me. And what I did, what really kind of like helped me have a big breakthrough in my ability to be with these aspects of myself um, was understanding that these things that I did and these feelings that I had were not sins. They were strategies. Um, they were uh, things that I did to meet ordinary human needs uh, that are perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable that everybody has. That's not to say that the strategies were good or that they were commendable or that I would recommend, like I would recommend them to anybody. Um, but it's just to say that the motivations behind them were fine. There's nothing wrong with want. Like for example, I would lie and cheat and steal. Not great. Um, but why did I lie and cheat and steal? Um, I think that saying that I, just because I was a greedy piece of shit was kind of be kind of a cop out. Um, I would say that I lied and cheated and stole to try to feel like I was in control and to try to feel secure because I was just a relentlessly insecure person. Um, now, obviously, cleaning it up does not involve like being like, hey, I'm sorry I stole from you. I was just very insecure. I you know, to fix what I broke, return the stuff that I stole, all of that stuff. Um, but it made it a lot easier for me to understand that, um, that how do I keep myself from lying, cheating, and stealing again? Well, I got to figure out a different strategy to meet those basic human needs. I got to figure out a different way to feel secure in what I, in who I am and what I'm up to in this world. And so that was the layer that really uh, became kind of like an exciting process for me, an exciting way for me to like transform all of this stuff that I did not want to identify and that I did not want to be with because it sucks to be confronted with like, hey, you were the way you were acting in this relationship was not great. Um, what really worked for me was being like, okay, great. This is interesting, exciting feedback. Um, now I can figure out something new about myself, figure out some way to lead an even bigger, better life, all of that stuff, which is hard. I'm not saying that stuff comes easily or naturally, but I'm just saying that, that has been kind of the breakthrough that most worked for me is figuring out some way of getting excited about that moral inventory um, and transforming my relationship with these darker parts of me. Uh, into something that like can point to new opportunities for growth, point to new opportunities for connection and love and everything that uh, that I want to be in this world. Um, so when it comes to fears, I think that was also an interesting thing, um, just because that illuminated kind of an interesting aspect of being of being alive, um, which is that like it's really hard for me to enjoy having something because um, the things that I enjoy having, 
I'm afraid I'm afraid of losing. Um, as soon as I as soon as I get something, I can become obsessed with the possibility of it not being there, which is a very awful way to exist, really, um, because I spent all my life like trying to satisfy my desires, and no sooner sooner have I satisfied them. Um, then I am, I, I'm, I'm not only tortured by what I don't have, I'm tortured by what I have. Um, and so that was an important thing for me to kind of recognize um, is that like a lot of what was there for me was, you know, looking for some sort of validation in the things that I have. I will know that I am a worthy human being because I have, uh, you know, these intimate relationships, I have this job, I have this income, I have this, these toys, I have this living situation, all of these things. Um, it's not to say that there's, you know, that those are valid things. Like I said, uh, human needs animate everything. It's important to feel secure where you're at. It's important to feel valuable. Um, but what I think has been helpful for me um, and has been kind of one of the paradoxically strengthening aspects of everything that I went through is identifying for me that um, there is a life and an existence and a value for me beyond everything that I'm, beyond all of my worst fears coming true. Um, I've lost jobs in recovery. I've lost relationships in recovery. I don't mean that I quite lost them. I mean, you know, they weren't a good fit and I was, and I was kicked out of them. And I was very attached to those jobs. And I was very attached to those relationships. Um, I was so worried about what I, what I made it mean that if I lost those things, that I would be a, a bad employee, a bad intimate partner, a bad whatever. Um, and what recovery has shown me is, you know, that there is a life and a love for me beyond everything that I was afraid of losing. Um, I think that comes down to our third tradition, um, which I would summarize as uh, they are probably not going to kick you out if you want to stop drinking. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you want to stop drinking, uh, you're welcome here. And so that's kind of what the fear stuff pointed to me. Um, it's, and it's another, another kind of way of illuminating those parts of me that I didn't want to be with um, because that's why I drank. There was a lot of me that I did not want to, there was a lot of stuff that I did not want to feel. Um, there was a lot of resentment that I did not want to feel. There was a lot of uh, fear that I did not want to feel. Um, and what step four kind of made possible was for me to be able to just be with that stuff as neutral facts. Um, and, and then when it comes to the intimate relating aspect of, um, of the step, I think it's a very interesting thing how, for me, a lot of what I would say can be my, uh, well, I'll, I guess I'll just go ahead and say it. A lot of my worst behavior has come out in intimate relationships, which is very strange um, because typically you would imagine that, you know, like, you know, I have some, you would have some sort of ideal for how you want to be as a lover, a partner, a, a co-life builder all of that stuff. Um, but then uh, within the scope of those intimate relationships, that's where a lot of the worst aspects of myself can also be. Uh, it's where a lot of the lying, cheating, stealing occurred. Um, and the people I've said I love you to are the people who have been most impacted um, by the issues that I've had to face in my recovery. Um, and as someone who is at, at, who was an active alcoholic. Um, and that's been another thing that like another critical thing, another critical aspect of this um, was from, because, you know, we, we here in AA have kind of like uh, a rule of thumb that it's typically good to not make major 
romantic changes within the first year or so of your recovery. Um, and, but, you know, I, I, I have been somebody who does want intimate relationships that, you know, I do want to be with people. I do want to be intimate. I do want to build love. Um, and a lot of what's been necessary for me to do that has been being able to frankly acknowledge, uh, the, the breakdowns that I've had in my romantic history, um, being able to, you know, if I, as as is said on the on the show RuPaul's Drag Race, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Um, and I found that definitely to be true. Um, I want the people that I date to have the have the ability to be, make an informed decision about who the who their partners are, and uh, to do that, I have to know myself and know what's there for me in relationships, know what my patterns are, know what my issues are. Um, and create some different, create commitments to something else. And like I said, um, it is a lot easier uh, to be with difficult feedback uh, whenever I'm taking the lead and seeking it out. Um, and it's a lot easier to have conversations around what's working and what's not working in relationships whenever I've, whenever I've done that work of getting used to it, I'd say. Um, and so what those things kind of come down to uh, are kind of they're kind of a couple of key lessons that I kind of want to um, impart or, or sort of you know not to say that I necessarily am a source of all this, but just this is just how it shows up for me um, and some of the uh, some of the key value that I've gotten out of this. Um, well, first of all, um, being with it myself um, is has made it a lot easier for me to bring it to other people. It sets me up for step five. This is not a step five meeting, but I'll say that um, it's kind of a crucial crucial aspect of this. I, when I first did this step, I, you know, I had all this, all these things, um, giant list of everything that I perceived to be, um, disgusting about myself. Um, you know, I, I really thought that there was, you know, I, I had a hard time getting sober initially. Um, at first because my, but at first, because I thought that I was smarter than everybody else in the room put together. But then eventually I thought that I had the most interesting, distinct, intense, unsolvable problems in the room. Um, and my step four document was proof of that to me. Um, that was my evidence that there, that there was something wrong with me. Um, and so I wrote it all out and brought it to my sponsor and um, sat there for hours talking about it until eventually um, at the end of it, he just sort of nodded and said that he could relate to most of that. And, uh, and that was just a huge kind of a punch in the gut for me because I was imagining that he was going to like spit on me or something that I was going to get attacked, uh, for being a disgusting, repulsive person, but I wasn't, um, my problems turned out that my problems are problems, but they're no bigger and no smaller than anybody else's issues. Um, I've earned my seat here, um, but my seat isn't any bigger or any smaller than anyone else in the room. So that has been kind of the right way that I've had to deal with this is that it's been a, been a process of right-sizing my ego. Um, I would say that, you know, when my, my ego used to be giant and fragile, like an overinflated balloon. Um, and I would say that like being an, like having some sort of like concern and self-regard is fine. It's part of being a life form. Um, it's part of being human. Um, but I would say that where it kind of led me astray was denying all of my problems or making my problems into something way huger than what they are. Um, and so step four is what made it possible for me to not only be with my problems, but for me to be with the problems of other people. 
um, for me to be able to connect my life to the lives of others in the rooms, to the lives of the people that I now sponsor, um, and really opened up a whole new world for me. Um, but the, the core part of it that has kind of really stuck with me that I kind of discovered through working this step um, was that I'm, there might be something wrong with what I do, but there's nothing wrong with what I am. There's a distinction between my actions and my existence. Um, my actions might not be aligned with my values, but my existence, I'm just a, a person among people. I have the same needs as everybody else. Um, sometimes my strategies to meet those needs do not work in terms of connecting me with other people and building sustainable relationships. Uh, but the needs that are animating them are just fine. There is nothing wrong with needing to feel secure, uh, with needing to feel stable, with needing to feel valuable, with all of those things. Um, what step four has given me the opportunity to do has been to identify those needs and figure out new ways of being with them. Um, something that I've often worked on with my sponsees is having them identify, identify the patterns and flip those things around, um, turning vices into virtues in these domains, um, figuring out ways, new ways of meeting the needs that have been animating them, uh, but in a way that brings them closer to people, that bring, makes them a contribution to others, and that helps them be a, you know, an upstanding member of society. Uh, and so ultimately, you know, step four was something that I had to lead. I, I did not sit in a room and have my sponsor interrogate me about all my problems for two hours. Uh, this was a process that I had to lead. Um, and it's a process that I continue to lead to this day because um, what I've kind of discovered, uh, the core thing for that is kind of the core aspect of my entire encounter with Alcoholics Anonymous, which is that the parts of me that I once thought to be the most disgusting, loathsome, um, wretched, problem-causing parts of me, um, the parts of me that used to be proof that I was unworthy of love, those are the parts of me that have actually paradoxically brought me the closest to people through doing the work of step four. Um, because through doing that work, I've been able to be vulnerable, to be present, um, to be humble, uh, and to create the, take those things that used to isolate me and turn them into things that make me feel a lot less alone and that make others feel less alone too, should they be people who relate to me and who relate to the path that I've been on. So it has been a tremendous and deep and powerful and profound and transformative experience. And it is one that I could never have conjured um, of my own volition. This was not something that I had in my imagination ready to go. I'm deeply grateful that that structure existed, um, that structure is possible. And uh, I'm deeply grateful for the community uh, of people who are also doing that work and who are inspiring me and showing me things that uh, I never could have conceived of as possible of my own. Because like we say, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe about God, including no existence about God. The thing that has mattered for me is acknowledging that I am not God. I am finite. Um, I have limitations. I am going to make mistakes. I am going to cause breakdowns. Um, things are not going to always work out the way that I want them to. And that's just a part of being human. Um, and that's just what it means to be a finite creature in a finite world. And that's okay. Um, and step four has been the part of the process where I've brought, gotten the most piece of that and figured out how to be human in a way that works for me and in a way that is not only something that can sustain me, um, but that can help sustain, uh, that help me be a contribution to the community that has given me so much. Um, so with that, I will say thank you for paying attention to me. I love it. I love attention so much. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to... Uh, 
have you all sit in silence while I talk for a minute, but now I'm going to turn it over to you people to find experts on resentments and fears and intimate breakdowns. Um, or actually, I don't know what you're going to do. The meeting is yours once again. Thanks for letting me share.